This is Asked and Answered. Questions. With Tom Opferman and Steelers Digest editor Bob Labriola. Welcome to the bi-week edition of Asked and Answered. Even though your Pittsburgh Steelers are off this week, Labs and myself are here putting the work in because we love you guys. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. We're getting paid. But no, we do love you guys, It's court-ordered. Uh, you know, I don't want to violate my probation. <laughs> Let's get right into it, Labs. Okay, wait, wait. Oh, oh. Before we get started. Let's get right into it. What do you think the most questions were about this week? The referees. <laughs> Spot on. Ding, 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 ding. I didn't even look ahead. I don't want you to know that. I was honest with that answer. I didn't even cheat and look ahead. Well, this first one is not about the referees, believe it or not. Jeff David from Detroit, Michigan asks, Against Seattle, the first pass of the game went to James Washington for nine yards. I don't believe he was targeted again and can't recall seeing him in action. With Juju Smith-Schuster on injured reserve and Chase Claypool not playing up to expectations, Based on past performance, it would seem Washington is our best receiver for combat catches. Did he get hurt, or is he just not part of their offensive plans? Um, well, Jeff David, unlike a lot of people who submit these things to me, actually got most of the facts correct. Good for you, Jeff. Uh, really? Uh, shout out. Um, he, uh, James Washington um, played eight offensive snaps against Seattle. He was only targeted once, as Jeff mentioned, and that he made that catch for a nine-yard gain. That play just happened. Just a little more information. That play came on the first snap of the Steelers' second possession of the first quarter. Um, you know, I, I really don't have any definitive answers for this. I can tell you uh, that on October 19th, Matt Canada did a, a his weekly media briefing, and he was asked about James Washington. And he said, I'm going to read this, his answer. James Washington was out the week before, meaning the week before the Seattle game, coming off some bumps and bruises there. We know how talented he is as the game played out and where we were with all our situations. That's how it worked. We're missing Juju, and we've got good players on the edge. James is certainly a guy where we freaking love and know he can do a great job. He will continue to be a big part of our offense. Strong words from Canada. <laughs> uh, my personal opinion is I as well uh, like James Washington and have. Uh, I do believe that he should have a role uh, with the Steelers' offense moving forward, in particular uh, because of the absence of Juju Smith-Schuster for the rest of the season. Um, you know, the coaches have to do a better job of getting this guy on the field. And then it's up to the quarterback, you know, to uh, decide, you know, where to go with the football. So I do think that this is – I'm willing to be a little bit patient right now in terms of James Washington's snaps. Uh, but if he doesn't become a little bit more of a presence both on the field and then within the offense, uh, I will have more comments about it at that time. Well, the good news is with the bye week, you get a little extra time to try to break him into the fold and make him a bigger part of the offense. Yeah, um, but, you know, <laughs> I've always felt um, kind of cheated by the bye week because the collective bargaining agreement in the contract, you have to give them four consecutive days off. No questions asked. No qu have to. Have to. That's in the contract. So it's usually... Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, bring them back Monday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, bring them back Tuesday. Uh, Mike Tomlin traditionally does the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday thing, and um, so 
They're off now. We're in here. They're off. We're working. Steelers are at home on their couch. Just want you guys to think or, about that. You know, wherever. I mean, <laughs> no, I mean they're not in here working. They're not That's working. The main that point. is an accurate statement. Daniel Cliff from North Chile, New York. In the last asked and answered, the lack of snaps for James Washington was touched on. But there were several players who didn't seem to get on the field that I found curious, namely Melvin Ingram III, Isaiah Bugs, and Isaiah Loudermilk. You hear a lot of talk about Bugs and Loudermilk, but they never seem to be on the field. And 17 snaps for Ingram? What goes into coaches determining who gets on the field during a game? Well, I want to start with one of the classic quotes, I think maybe in my 30-plus years of doing this job. Uh, Bill Cower, Hall of Fame coach Bill Cower now, so no laughing out there at this, uh, his quote, um, was asked, about how he was going to allocate playing time for a particular preseason game, and he said the starters will start. <laughs> so, uh, and that 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 applies to just about every game, including the one that Daniel is asking about. The starters will start, and the guys that he named: Melvin Ingram the third, Isaiah Bugs, and Isaiah Loudermilk. All uh, Loudermilk are not starters. So, there's that. Uh, the other thing is uh, you have to also consider in the in the situation of Bugs, he plays nose tackle. The Steelers are in sub-package 70% of the time. Uh, Bugs is really not um, a quality contributor as Tyson Alualu would have been at a defensive end spot. So his snaps are going to be limited strictly to nose tackle, and so that's a good reason why you know, he is not on the field a lot. Loudermilk is a guy who uh, is a fifth-round pick. When he came to the NFL, he was projected as, you know, a guy with some good size. He could move around pretty good. Uh, he was a project. He exactly, was going to have yeah. to learn. Okay, so now all of a sudden you want him on the field a lot. You know, I, I don't get it. Um, and I love when, when people send in, you hear a lot of talk. From who? Do these people who are talking know There's anything? A lot of chatter, or are they a lot just, of chatter. Are they just talking? Um, you know, and Bugs, without the injury to, to Stephon, too, it all due respect to him, too, uh, I don't know if he makes the team. And if Carlos Davis isn't injured in the opener, I don't know if he's even active yet. So <clears throat> these are some of the things that are, I would say, that Bugs and Loudermilk are playing more snaps than I would have expected, no <clears throat> certainly before the season started. Now, the, the case of Melvin Ingram, when the Steelers signed him, the whole idea was to get a veteran, uh, competent outside linebacker who could play both ends of the line of scrimmage, who could provide maybe 20 snaps a game, quality snaps to give T.J. Watt and Alex Highsmith the breathers that they need to be going 100 miles an hour at the end of a game. Um, now, both of those guys, Watt and Highsmith, I mean, have battled groin injuries off and on so far this season. And so we saw a lot more of Ingram <clears throat> than I really wanted to see, not because he's not any good, but because you want him. He's most effective in that role yes. I just described. Okay. So Ingram only got, how many snaps did Daniel mention? Uh, 17. Okay. He only got 17 snaps against um, Seattle, but the good news is Alex Highsmith played 100% of the snaps. That's the plan. That's the way it's supposed to look. Um, 
and that's the way it's going to be, hopefully, uh, as long as those other guys both stay healthy and productive, which T- they were against Seattle. By yes, the way. T.J. Watt speaks for himself, but Highsmith on those 100 percent of the snaps, one and a half sacks, best game as a Steeler, I'd say, or at least one of them. He was oh, he his was very best impact. game. Yeah, right. Highsmith's best yes. game as a Steeler. Yeah, well, it's only he play, um, except for the opener. He's been hurt. Exactly. He played some, but he's been hurt. Finally healthy. You finally see what their usage will look like normally moving forward, right. at least we hope so. Jim Anderson from Toledo, Ohio, asks, the defense really stepped up at the end of the Sunday night game against Seattle. However, there seemed to be a lot of missed tackles that occurred in the game. Do you have a count of the number of missed tackles? Also, do you think the missed tackles are a result of the robot tackling dummies used in practice? Um, missed tackles are not a statistic typically tabulated maybe by teams, coaches, or um, you know other outlets that and then that's all subjective anyway, pro football focus and those uh, kind of people. So I don't have a number, but I don't do not disagree <laughs> with Jim Anderson's characterization of them as the number as a lot. <laughs> and the, those robot tackling dummies haven't been used for years. So um, they were pretty cool, though. You know, they were they, yeah, were, they move on their own. Right? Yeah, right. They move on their own, and it's a good teaching tool. Um, teaches guys, I would imagine they're much more effective at lower levels of football, that I mean high school, college, maybe even, um, you know, uh, Pop Warner, because it teaches uh, kids or young adults how to tackle, getting their head out of the way, not leading with their head, that kind of stuff. But Steelers haven't had those around for a couple of years at least. I think this is a problem that plagues more than just the Steelers in the NFL. I think tackling is at an all-time low around the sure. league. Sure. Well, because you can't practice it anymore. Well, and here's the other thing. <clears throat> when, and I'm just picking out a name here. Um, if Alex Highsmith, and I just picked him out because we just mentioned him, in college or high school, Alex Highsmith could probably put a shoulder in the 99.9% of the offensive <laughs> players he tried to tackle and knock them off their feet. In high school, he might just be able to poke them with a finger <laughs> right. and knock them back. That doesn't work in the NFL. No. And so, um, you know, the, and because of the injury situation, uh, teams, you know, the Steelers are one of the only teams in the NFL to do live tackling every day at training camp. So you can't say they don't work on it because they do. Why is tackling bad? I don't know. Blame ESPN for all those highlight packages. Blame ESPN for everything. Yeah, it's a good plan. <laughs> Dennis Slieger from York, PA, asks, what is your opinion of Pat Fryermuth so far? I like his receiving skills, and it seems he's learning to block better. Do you think he has what it takes to have a long career with the Steelers? Uh, I don't disagree with Dennis's assessment of Pat Fryermuth so far. Uh, I like his receiving skills as well. Uh, he is already, in my opinion, a reliable NFL receiving tight end. Uh, he is a willing blocker, uh, which for a rookie tight end is a compliment. Um, he has to learn, though, I think, how to do it. I also think he's going to have to get stronger because um, going up against uh, the end of the line of scrimmage defenders, often they're either bigger outside linebackers or often uh, lighter defensive ends, uh, you have to be stronger. You have to know how what you're doing, have proper technique and all of that kind of stuff. So uh, Pat Fryermuth, I like him. He's going to be a player. Now, is he going to have a long career with the Steelers? I mean, that's totally a guess. He could get injured. He could hit the Powerball lottery. I mean, there's a lot of things 
that um, Pat Fryermuth might decide he would like to do instead of play football. But he has the, the, the skill set, I believe, and so far the approach and the attitude uh, to be a quality two-way tight end in the NFL for a while. And that's the part that I think I like the most that you said is his willingness to improve in his pass blocking or right. run blocking skills, pass blocking, whatever. The other guy, not, not so, so willing to do, improve in that yeah, category. I, and I don't know if it's just you know something that he can't do, period. Or he just doesn't want to. Or doesn't want to or uh, has been used for so long as a receiving tight end that – you know, he has no interest. Uh, you know, I don't want to speculate, but um, Zach Gentry is the best blocking tight end on the 53-man yes. roster, and Fryermuth is second. Um, and I don't even know if there is a third. Maybe Kevin Rader. I'd say that Fryermuth has already passed Ebron as far as the best tight end on the roster, too. I think the Steelers you look at it that way as well. You yeah. His w- usage go up more and more. Yes. He is, he's more reliable with his hands, too. Amy Reig from Washington, North Carolina. At the time of Freddie Swain's fumble recovery, here we with go. The clock those referee questions. <laughs> it only took about three to get there. With the with the clock running out, Russell Wilson ran out to him to tell him to get the ball back to the line of scrimmage. Mike Tirico made the comment that Wilson was out on the field. Is that permissible while the clock was running? No. You, you can expand it. on that at all? No, like, I mean no? it's not. It's I, there, <laughs> I mean, there's really nothing else I can tell Amy. I mean, no, it's it's not permissible. Uh, I can't answer if she would come back and say, "Well, why wasn't there a penalty flag?" Uh, all I can say is there should have been. There's a penalty flag a couple years ago when Mike Tomlin was on the field when Jacoby Jones was running up the sidelines. Yep. So definitely should have been some laundry thrown for that one as well. And that yeah. ends the game. And, for I, the and I feel bad. Uh, for some of these uh, fans who sent these questions in, asking me, you know, why did the officials blow that? Why don't they know the rules? Why? <laughs> I got no. I got. I, I got. Lo- I got nothing for you. I'd love people. to get in the head of the official. <laughs> well, but I mean, I I, I can't answer that. I, right? I don't know. It shouldn't have happened. Um, uh, it it shouldn't have happened. Uh, <laughs> that's all I got. <laughs> Jennifer Frazier from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Is there a rule against kicking a field goal on first down in overtime? I wondered why Ben Roethlisberger spiked the ball on first down and second down, and then Chris Boswell came in to kick it on third down if the next score won the game. Okay, uh, let me start with this. There is no rule against attempting a field goal on any snap of the game from the first play of the first quarter to the last play of overtime. Um, Jennifer's characterization, though, of what happened on the field after Devin Bush recovered uh, the fumble forced by T.J. Watt, though, is not accurate. Uh, the, on first down, Ben, it was a run kind of. Uh, he moved the ball into the middle of the field. Um, and second down, he took a knee. Now, I don't know this for a fact, but this is what I think. Um, you know, that's what they call sudden change, where, um, you know, something happens on the field instantly where units have to change mm-hmm. okay so the Steelers did not have the ball now in a situation where a team is in overtime and you're on offense your specialists are working on their craft on the sideline right long snapper snapping the ball holders holding, holding the it, ball kickers kicking kick, it in the net, net right yeah. okay now that was happening Seattle had the ball the defense was on the field defense yeah. was on the field so it wasn't for that long uh, that the that the defense was on the field certainly because it was just a punt and then the first play of um, 
offense for Seattle. But, okay, all of a sudden now you have the ball. I'm thinking now like a head coach. Okay, all of a sudden I got the ball now. I'm in position to win this game. I got a rookie holder, real rookie holder. Right. And I got a center, long snapper, who's not uh, chronologically a rookie, but this is his first game. first crack at it, yeah. Okay. All right. So I got time. I got some timeouts. I'm already in position. I don't need any more yards. So I'm going to get them working on the sideline here. Just do a few. Couple, couple reps, yeah. Couple reps. Uh, and while we're doing that, because the play clock's running, I don't want to necessarily burn these timeouts because I may need them if something happens. Disaster strikes. Disaster yeah. strikes. And I don't want to forfeit any yardage on delay of game penalties. Okay. So, Ben, this is what you do. First down, we're going to move it into the – and then second down, just take a knee. That'll give us in real time probably 90 seconds to two minutes. Okay. Koontz, Harvin, get over here, do your thing. Uh, yes, Boswell, you okay? You need to cut, kick a couple in the net. Go ahead. Okay. Out of those three, he's probably the one that's R- the most least, ready. Yeah. yeah. Okay, now we're ready. Okay, kick the field goal. Let's go home. Thank God we did. Yes. That game was dragging. Andrew Gaunt from London, Ontario, Canada, asks, at halftime of Sunday's overtime game against the Seahawks, Michelle Tafoya talked to both Mike Tomlin and Pete Carroll. She reported that Carroll's plan was to try to run the ball effectively in the second half and that Tomlin's plan was to try to defend the pass in the second half. The third quarter proved that both coaches had spoken the truth because Alex Collins ran to the tune of 101 yards and a touchdown in the game while the Steelers' seemingly constant nickel defense bled the lead to Pete Carroll's rushing attack. Is it legal for teams to have someone relaying Tafoya's report to the coaching staff? Would there ever be any real value in taking those sideline reports under any consideration? Okay, um, this is me. Uh, I wouldn't believe what coaches tell sideline reporters, even if they were strapped to a polygraph machine while they were saying it. Uh, Those are, you know, mandatory uh, as part of the contract with the league and the broadcast partners. Um, The coaches, um, in my experience, 100% of the time are cooperative. But, you know, the next time anybody really gives any – decisive information to them will be the first be the first it so happened that neither one was lying this time or you know hedging the truth but um it's so unusual that anybody would reveal anything that um it's they're, they're just not paid attention to so i, I don't think it was it's not illegal right to pay attention but even if even if uh mike tomlin was told that Pete Carroll said they're going to run the ball in the second half. Yeah. I mean, he's still going to go with what he thinks he has seen so far um, and what he feels is best for uh, the defense. And so, you know, you're up 14 nothing. I can see some of the – but the Steelers had to play better against the run um, against in the second half than they did against Seattle. It, it just wasn't good enough. You know, I don't think – Pete was really explaining rocket science either when he said we need to run the ball better with our backup quarterback in the football game. It's pretty obvious. Not a little little faith in Geno, huh? (laughs) He did have a good second half. I know. But that was because they were running the ball really effectively. Made things a lot easier for him. Kwaku Hayford from Rockville, Maryland. I understand why kickoff returns are not as common anymore, 
but what rules did they change in punt returns recently that makes it where the returner never has enough time to return the kick? It's called hang time. You know, I mean, no rule changes, no, just punters being good. Well, yeah, and you know, it's um, there are there are numbers. I've talked to Danny Smith about this. There are numbers. He puts a stopwatch to it. Uh, there are. Uh, the Mendoza lines for all that stuff. Mendoza line for hang time for punters. Mendoza line for how long it takes a long snapper to get the ball uh, back to the holder. How long it takes his three specialists snap, hold, kick to get the ball past the line of scrimmage. Um, if you're under that time, you have a job in the NFL. And as he says, if you're over that time, you're working at 7-Eleven. <laughs> so, I mean, that's what it is with punters. If you have good hang time, you get a job in the NFL. There's only 32 of those jobs. If you don't have good hang time, you get cut. You're making Slurpees. Yep. Glenn Smith from Fayetteville, North Carolina. What determines which teams have their home openers on week one? Okay, I, I've, I've handled this question before. People don't seem to want to believe this, but it is true. Uh, in, in, in the NFL, for teams that either share stadiums with a baseball team, which doesn't exist anymore that's, since— That's out now that right, Oakland's gone. Right? Oakland's yeah. gone, yeah. They were the last ones. Uh, and Miami also, they used to share stadiums. With the Marlins until they built their new stadium. They built yeah. their own, okay. Or if you share property uh, parking lots with— which. A baseball stadium, which is what the situation in Pittsburgh. Yes. Heinz Field and PNC Park share the same parking lots for events. So in those kinds of situations, uh, baseball schedule comes out first. Major League Baseball schedule, based on when they play, their schedule comes out first. Yeah, I mean, they're, sched- they're playing games when the NFL schedule comes out. Right. You know? So um, it, it, th- this is what I do. Every time – to know when the Steelers are at home or on the road in September, uh, as soon as the baseball schedule comes out, I look up the Pirates yeah. and see what weekends they're at home, what weekends they're on the road. When the Pirates are at home, the Steelers are on the road. When the Pirates are on the road, the Steelers are at home. And this is the case even if you know if some fans would say, well, the baseball game starts at 1 o'clock, you can play a Sunday night game. Uh, what if the baseball game goes into extra innings? Yeah, baseball doesn't have a time limit. It could literally go yeah, for 24 hours. Yeah, and it, it's hours. just not – I mean, the North Shore is just not big enough. For two with enough, big events. Well, 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 even if the baseball, right. Uh, Pirates, you, yeah. But you, the, the, you would still reserve those lots. Yeah. Okay, so that's what, that's how you do it. That's interesting. I never knew that. I will believe you, though. I promise. I that's the kind I of guy you back. are. I that's, why I do, that's why I do this with you. I want to throw it back in your <laughs> face a year from now and say, why the hell do they do this? <laughs> Scott. Bochum from Jacksonville, Illinois, has got our last question. Did you know here. there was a Jacksonville in Illinois? I didn't. I actually thought that was a typo, and then I was just going to sound like an idiot and just roll no, right I looked, past it. I looked up. I looked it up. Well, thank God, Jacksonville, Illinois. You don't leave me out to dry, Labs. That's why I love you. Why did we trade a fifth round pick for Akella Witherspoon when he has played four snaps on defense? Okay, uh, just to explain this, the. Scott is accurate. It, it is a fifth-round pick. It's in the 2023 draft. <laughs> okay? I mean, so, you know, let's not um, get carried away here with what the Steelers actually gave up for this guy. Based He's, on Colbert's track record, he might get that pick back and then some, honestly. Well, and but let me do say Scott is accurate. He has played exactly four snaps, snaps on defense. <laughs> now, the trade was made. Uh, with the idea that I think the Steelers were a little bit nervous about their depth at outside corner. Um, so they want they like Cam Sutton there. They also like to move him around a little bit. 
Uh, they they like Joe Hayden there. Joe Hayden is 32 years old. Right. Uh, who do you put in? You, you're, James Pierre's already starting. Who do you put in at outside corner if something happens to James – or excuse me, Joe Hayden? I don't think they really believe that Justin Lane is – is there yet? Is or that guy? If it's going to be four weeks, six weeks, something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> and so you have an opportunity to get a guy who has starting experience in the NFL, and he started at outside corner for that 49ers team that went to the Super Bowl. So the guys played in some big games. Yeah. Uh, I'm not. I'm not comparing him to Mel Blunt or anything, <laughs> but it's a fifth round pick two years from now. Um, you know, at that time of the year. That's the best you can do. And it cracks me up that there is such angst about this when fans have absolutely no qualms about saying, we need to draft a quarterback on the first round and let him sit behind Ben for two or three years so he, <laughs> until he learns the offense. How is that any different than giving a, a pick, a fifth-round pick away, a third-day pick, by the way, two years from now, two years from now to have a little bit of depth at corner? When we get to that 2023 draft as fans, no one will remember, remember that they even had that fifth-round pick to begin with. Right. That's just a fact. Well, that'll do it for us. Well, I guess I got one more question, Labs. Any big plans for the bye week? Uh, no. No? Do a little rela- rest and relaxation, watch some football, root for the Broncos. Root for the Broncos. Start, starting on Thursday night. I guess root for the Bengals since the Ravens are out to such a good lead already, but – that's, root that's for a, a tie in that game. You know what I root for in a game like that? A lot of activity for both teams' trainers. <laughs> well, that'll do it for this edition of Asked and Answered. For Bob Labriola, I'm Tom Offerman. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we'll chat with you guys again next week.